You know, I, uh, I love that you brought up Cedarville. I actually, um, I had somebody that I, that I really like, and they, and they recently, they told me, when they met me, they were like, you know, I always thought you were a cowboy. Like, you, I just pictured you as a kid with a big old belt buckle and Wranglers and a cowboy hat and all that. And you know, if you're a cowboy, I think that's awesome. But here was the funny thing, is that I was actually in a little tiny cowboy town and prided myself on being, of all things, kind of a little neo-hippie. And so I was really insulted, like, what? You didn't picture me in, like, funky neo bell-bottoms? Because I used to have some rockin' bell-bottoms. They were actually brown corduroy bell-bottoms that were a little too tight on the top and a little too loose on the bottom, if you can picture that. And um, anyway, but for whatever reason, it really knocked me for a loop because I thought, man, I can't believe it. I'm coming off like this little country-fied hick from Cedarville, and it just really messed with my ego, which is probably a good thing. It's probably the Lord. And, uh, but then I was reading the Bible, and I noticed Jesus was from Nazareth. And, uh, you know, they had lots of jokes, like, you know, if, you, if all you know how to do is work with your hands, you might be from Nazareth, you know. If <laughs> At any rate, Nazareth only had like 500 people in it. And Cedarville had 800. So I was like, hey, if it's good enough for Jesus, well, I'm from Cedarville, y'all. So I was encouraged. You're waiting for like a punchline. I'm just telling you, I'm really encouraged. Me and Jesus are from small towns. (laughs) Jesus had more sense than to wear the bell bottoms, though. I need to pray. Father, I thank you that we can be together today. I thank you that you are such a good father. And Lord, I'm excited about what you have to share with us. I'm excited about what you're doing in our lives. I'm I'm encouraged by your faithfulness. I thank you that you ask for everything. Honestly, Lord, (laughs) it would make me nervous if you asked for less than our entire allegiance in life. Because otherwise, Lord, I would feel like you wanted to see other people. But I praise you that you ask for everything which means that you want to give everything, and in fact, you have. So today, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, write that in our hearts. You're the God who has given everything, and you're the God that requires the same from us. And Lord, we gladly come and trade our ashes for your beauty, our ignorance for your wisdom, our arrogance for your humility. Wow. Amen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is Matthew 6, 19 through 34. The eye is the lamp of the body, and so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The eye is the lamp of the body. I love how Jesus lays this out. He starts with the eye. He says, your eye is the lamp of the body. How many of you guys know in the scripture it says that the physical things speak of the spiritual things? How many of you know that? Do you remember that? Okay, so the physical things that we look at, in fact, it says all of creation speaks of the glory of God. 
All of creation. So when you look over at your neighbor, look over at your neighbor. Say, hello, beautiful. <laughs> They're made in God's image. When you look over at them, you're looking at God's kid. You're, man, you look a lot like your daddy. You look good. You look a lot like your daddy. And when we look at nature, when we look at creation, all of creation speaks of the glory of God. And we know that God is what? He's spirit. So the natural things speak of the spiritual things. Why? Because they were birthed from spiritual things, because they are spiritual things, and the natural speaks of the spiritual. Amen? So Jesus is talking about eyeballs. And so I want to take a moment and I want to say, okay, well, if Jesus is using the eyes, he's using it as an example to talk to us about the spiritual realities of the kingdom of heaven, well, then let's start right there. Let's look at how the eye works. I want to show you something here. Sight, a precious gift we can't take for granted. Our eyes are windows to the wonders of the world. All we know and love, experience and discover, ponder and cherish. Let's peer into the workings of the eye, a unique and self-sustaining system. The reflected light of the world enters through the crystal transparency of the cornea, aqueous humor, lens, and vitreous humor to project onto the photoreceptors of the retina, whose impulses converge on the optic nerve and then to the brain to be transfigured into imagery and imbued with meaning. Continual adjustments to the pupil and lens regulate the entry and focusing of light. In today's world, the eye surface is constantly challenged to protect itself and adjust to changing conditions. Every blink helps our eye's natural defense system, the tear film, retain moisture and maintain visual acuity. Tears contain potent natural disinfectants to keep bacteria at bay and the tear system washes away impurities to maintain eye health. The miraculous biology of our eyes inspires us to develop ways we can protect and maintain comfort for these remarkable structures. For all the wonders our eyes provide throughout our lives, we owe them our attention and ongoing care. I love the language there. These miraculous structures of biology. The light goes through the transparent lens, reflects on the optic nerve, and is taken into, be imbued with meaning by our brain. You can't even talk about the eye and not sound like you're preaching. I just thought it was so poetic. I, I was looking at this and I thought, this is amazing. This, this is obviously a commercial. Uh, for Bosch and Loam, which they did a, a really good job. And, but as they're talking about the eye, they're talking about creation, they can't help but accidentally use words that talk about God, the miracle of this self-sustaining structure. 
Isn't that fantastic? And I was so blessed by the poetry of it that um, as, I was, uh, as I was researching, I actually found a bootleg song that has the exact same words um, from uh, Eddie Vedder. And so I wanted to play that for you. And uh, so here, here we go. It's a little, it's vintage, so it's a little rough. As a precious gift we can take for granted Raise our windows to the wonders of the world The reflected light of the world enters through the crystal transparency of the cornea aqueous humor lens betray us humor to project on the photoreceptors of the retina whose impulses converge on the optic nerve and then to the brain to be transformed into imagery and imbued with meaning a precious gift we can take for granted. Wait for the big end. Can take for granted. <laughs> I just, I felt so blessed to find that. I didn't even know that bootleg existed until I was doing the research. And I thought, you know what? That guy is a prophet. So at any rate. But here's the beauty. Here's the scripture. The, the eye is the lamp of the body. So we see even how the eye works. It says, it doesn't say the eye shoots light out and brightens up the room. No, it says that light travels into the eye through the different humors and the lens and the transparency and reflects in and then you are lit up by that light. You see, the eye is the lamp of your body. It's the lamp of what's happening in you. And so Jesus says it's the lamp of the body so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Now, the King James Version uses the word single. And there's a good reason why the King James, this is the NSB, uh, which I really do love this translation. However, on this one, I'm going to take a little issue with them and break it down for you. It's from the word, this word, if your eye is clear. That word clear is from, it's from, it's hapless. And what it actually means initially, the, the very first out of the gate meaning for that is simple or single. If your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. Isn't that interesting? If your eye is single, if it's good, if it's fulfilling its office or sound is the other, the other breakdown of that word. So if your eye is doing what it should, then it will be single in its operation and your body will be filled with light. Does that make sense? And then what, is the, what, is he, what does he contrast that with? He says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And I looked that one up, and it's, from, it's ponerous, and it means bad, so we're doing good there. But you know what's really cool is the first, right out of the gate, the first actual word from that, poner, poneris, it means full of labors, annoyances, and hardships. Full of labors, hardships, and annoyances. Pressed and harassed by labors, bringing toils, annoyances, and parable. And I'm sorry, parables. No, not parables. Those are actually pretty good. Perils. Bad of a bad nature or condition, and in a physical sense, diseased or blind. Okay, but I just love the fact that he chooses a word that could mean filled with labors, annoyances, and hardships. I think this is a word in season for us. How you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. 
I'm so busy. I'm so stressed. Are you, are you stressed? Yes, I'm stressed. And we live in an interesting place. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this scripture. And, and what I want to do today is, first of all, I want you to all just sigh a sigh of relief. <sighs> all right, are you ready to receive here? Because what we're going to do is I'm, I'm pulling out the sword. And it can be kind of scary when somebody pulls out a sword, you know? Whoosh. But that's what we're reading, the sword. And the beauty of the word of God is it's a two-edged sword. And it says this, that it tests, it's sharp, and it tests even the very motivations of the heart. Separates between soul and spirit, testing even the very motivations of the heart. Now, Joshua Revis can't test the very motivations of your heart. He's just a dude. He needs his own motivations of his own heart tested. But the word of God can test all of the motivations of our heart. Amen? So we're pulling out the sword and we're saying, by your spirit. We also know that it says the word of God is living and active and a two-edged sword. The living, active word of God. And what does it do? It actually comes in and as, it, as we read it, as we meditate upon it, it is a light and it is a sword and it comes in and what does it do? It confronts us in the midst of our culture, doesn't it? It comes in and it says, first of all, it says, I love you. I mean, you look at the story of this God that loves. And then you go, wow, in light of that love, how then must I live? And the word goes, well, I'm glad that you asked. And that's what we're doing today. Are you guys ready? All right. So Jesus says this, your eye is to be single. Your eye is to be single. If the, the eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Now here's where I'm, I'm laying my case. I think the word single is very, very correct because he doesn't just stop and say, the eye of the lamp is the body, so then if your eye is single... And he just finishes at the end of the, at the paragraph, great is the darkness, moving on. No, he's going somewhere with this. And he says, your eye must be single because, starting at this paragraph, no one can serve two masters. Your eye must be single because no one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Somebody say amen. amen. Did you catch that? Single can't serve two masters. How many of you are at least convinced right now that he's talking about this? Does that feel pretty? I got like four of you. Good. The rest of you, get ready. You're going to love this. <laughs> All right. So the purpose of the eye is to be single. It's to take you where you want to go, to see clearly and help you end up in the direction that you're choosing. How many of you would appreciate it if you, when you were looking at something, you couldn't walk to it? You walked to another direction. Obviously, we want the eye to take us in the direction that we're going. Yes? All right. Now, the eye is actually aware of other things that are going on around us. But if it begins to fixate on something other than where we want to go, it will begin to take us toward whatever has captured our attention. Jesus says the eye must be single. Now, this is a matter of utmost importance for those of us that want to follow Jesus. We have to follow the words that he gives us. We have to listen and let the scripture come in and calibrate us back to the kingdom of heaven because we didn't just show up and God's like, hey, you want to date, but I'm totally into open relationships. 
I mean, if you want to see other people, no problem with me. No, you showed up for the living God who loves you completely. Jesus Christ gave his life completely. The, the level of allegiance to which we've been called is extraordinary. It means that we're actually, we've died with Christ and we're born again a new creation. And that new creation that we are belongs completely and totally to God. You don't have rights anymore. You have responsibilities. And you know what? That's great news. That's great news because you know what you get? Everything Jesus deserves. But it's not an open marriage. How many of you would be excited if you came home to find your spouse in the arms of someone else? And they're like, oh, no, 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 I totally love you. It's just that I like to see other people. But many of us live our life for Christ as though he's into that. Oh, no, no, I know, I know you, I, God, I know you, you, you say a lot of things. It's just I don't agree with some of them. And in those areas, I just do what I want. You, you understand, I love you and, and them. Come on. He's rather particular about that. So Jesus is saying, you, your eye has to be single. Are you guys tracking with me? Are you having fun? Okay, good, because I am, and I don't want to be alone on that. Now, Jesus is saying we have to focus on what he's doing and be looking at what he's prioritizing in the earth. Because he's saying you can't serve two things. You can't serve two masters. Now, if we don't understand that, embrace that, we're going to end up despising God and rationalizing our pursuit of wealth. Because Jesus isn't just talking about, you know, stuff, just a sort of a general thing. Oh, it's all good. Just apply this however you want. He's actually talking about wealth right here. Jesus is talking about wealth. And he's saying, you will either serve wealth or you will serve me, but you will not serve both. Amen? Everybody with me? Okay, so everybody's nodding, and they're like, well, that's no problem, because honestly, I'm not actually chasing wealth, so I'm safe. Who here feels safe? I want to bring some context. I want to bring some, you guys like context? All right, I'm going to bring some context. So, <laughs> I love you, Jess. The total value of the world income right now is closing in on $70 trillion. Say $70 trillion. All right, so $70 trillion a year is the amount of wealth that is generated on the earth right now, okay? Now, there's 7 billion people in the earth, so if we said everybody gets a fair share of the $70 trillion that's available, and we have 7 billion people, well, then everybody gets $10,000. What? $10,000. How come nobody's excited? What's wrong with you people? You just found out you're rich because you have more than $10,000, don't you? Now, that's not, a fair, that's not fair numbers, but I want to I begin. I want to give you some context here because Jesus didn't just come to save America, did he? Did he just come to save America? No, he did not. He came that the whole world would be saved, and he's looking at the whole world. He's got 7 billion kids, and he loves them. And he's saying to us, you will either serve me or you'll serve wealth. And so we're like, well, Lord, that's no problem because I'm not rich. I don't even, I wish I was. No, I don't. Actually, I don't. I'm not rich. I don't have to worry about this. I'm not serving wealth. I'm totally serving you. I'm the poorest person I know. 
well, you better look at this in the context of what the word is actually looking at. Let's pan out and look at the earth. Let's not look at you in your neighborhood where the person next door has four cars and a two-story house and you have a, 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 a manufactured home and one car. And you're like, I'm barely getting by. I'm not like those guys. So we're going to look at the whole thing. So, so everybody gets $10,000 a year now because we've split it across so that everybody gets a fair share. But not everyone has a job, okay? And some of the 7 billion people are children. I don't think we should put them to work. Do you guys want to start child labor back up? What about grandma and grandpa and great grandma and grandpa? Should we get them back to the factory? Go earn your $10,000. I don't think that's kingdom. Okay, so we're just starting with that. If we just did full-on redistribution of wealth, everybody gets a fair share, well, you all get $10,000. That's not realistic. The truth is there are children, there are grandparents, etc. You're in different places in your life. We don't, it's not about just cutting everything up into equal pieces, but this does help you to kind of get a picture here, doesn't it? All right. So the next question we could ask then is, then what is the average wage of the earth? If we're going to define wealth, if Jesus is saying you can't serve God and wealth, and we're resting easy because we're like, well, I don't serve wealth because I ain't rich. And I don't even want to be rich because I met some rich people and I didn't like them. And I was kind of jealous of what they had, so I decided I didn't like them. They must have robbed somebody to get it. So let's look at the average wage. Now, the, the world's average wage is not extraordinarily simple to figure out because as you know different nations it's it's less expensive to live in that nation than it is to live in other nations okay so what they did was they came up with the triple p who are they you ask the united nations i gotta go check my notes here so i don't mess this up it's the ilo the international labor organization has done a massive study and that's where i've got this information so you guys can google and check me out and let me know you know, blog about it. So what they did was they did the PPP. And what that is, oh, come on, Joshua. It's got the word parody in it. Purchasing power parody. It's a little tongue twister that they made up as an icebreaker. Purchasing power parody. And what that means is that they went and said, okay, if in America, and they used the dollar because the dollar is still the strongest unit of measure for value. And so they used the dollar and they said, okay, so if you, if you had a certain amount of purchasing power parity dollars, we can average this out. So let's say if you're in a nation where you make, say, $400 a year, but the truth is that $400 a year, although there are American dollars in that nation, it will buy you the same amount as if you made $1,500 a year in America. Does that make sense? So you guys are all tracking with me here? The reason why I need you to understand this is because I don't want you to walk away going, well, that's just shady math and I'm not convicted. I'm setting you up because I'm going to poke you in the heart. <laughs> Jesus is going to poke you in the heart. Yeah, but it's a love poke. <laughs> All right, so the world's average salary in the earth is $1,480 a month, just under $18,000 a year in developed countries. Say it with me, $1,480. Okay, how many of you just realized you're rich? couple of you figured that out. The rest of you are like, that ain't right. That, I have been being poor my whole life, and I just found out I'm rich. I'm out of here. <laughs> this is nonsense. Now, I'm not talking about redistribution of wealth. I'm not saying you should feel guilty for being rich. I'm saying you should be grateful. I'm saying that you get to say, thank you, Lord, I'm rich. You've made me wealthy. 
Go ahead. All right, I'm going to give a couple of you some A's. <laughs> Are you guys having fun? I really feel like I'm messing with you today. I can actually feel the pressure. Where are you going with this, Josh? You going socialist on us? <laughs> you, you read a book, did you? Did you read a book recently? Is that what happened? <laughs> so you're finding out that you're rich. Now, here's the other part. It gets even better. Now, that's in developed countries because we still have developing countries. Over a third of the population of the earth makes $2 a day. And that's, that's triple P dollars there. They have the purchasing power of $2 a day. Are you catching me? They're poor. So let me... Let me break this down. That means 2.3 billion people, whether they personally work or they're part of a family, they're living on $2 a day. Say, I'm rich. Yes, you are. You're ridiculously rich. You are ridiculously wealthy. If you own a car, you are in a special club of which only 5% of the population of the earth is a part of. You're in the diamond club, baby. You can get into something and drive. And that something doesn't poop while you drive it. <laughs> You're in a special club. You're in the presidential club. You're the president of your car. Now, right now, in Oregon, the minimum wage is $9.10. Is that correct? $9.10 an hour. Make $9.10 an hour, and you multiply that times 40 hours a week. 40 hours a week. Which, by the way, a lot of these people in other nations, they don't have the little thing called a 40-hour work week. We enjoy that luxury. It's beautiful. It was God's idea. You ever heard of the Sabbath? Well, we doubled down. We got a whole weekend. It's fantastic. So, $9.10 an hour times 10 hours a week. On average, when you average out the year, you have 4.3 weeks in a month. Are you guys tracking with me? So when you're, doing, when you're figuring these things out, you go one month is going to be this amount per week times 4.3. You got that? So you've got 4.3. So we go like this, $9.10 times 40 hours times 4.3. You know what that equals? $1,565.20. That is $85.20 more than the earth's average salary you are rich say it I'm wealthy expectations change a lot don't they but I'm here for the American dream you're living the American dream yeah you're there no, but I wanted to succeed <laughs> you can succeed at McDonald's Proud of my girl. She's actually working at McDonald's. <laughs> Come on, that's my baby. She got her first job. You are already making more than the average salary of everyone in the earth. You just started your first job. You just started at $85.20 more than the earth's average salary. Now, Jesus says you cannot serve God and wealth. Now, you tell me. How much more do you need to make? 
I'm not saying you can't. I'm just asking, I'm just doing a heart check here. How much more than the earth's average do you need to make? How much more? Just tell me. How much more do you need to make? So that you can truly feel satisfied, comforted, like you're purposeful on this earth so that you're accomplishing what you were put in America to accomplish. How much more money is it going to take? How much is God requiring that you make? How many more things do you need to buy? Now, you got to understand this. God made cool stuff. He made cool stuff. And you know what? It's okay for you to make more money. It really is. But you can't chase wealth. You can't make money to make money. You're part of the kingdom. And you're already wealthy. So if you have anxiety in your heart, there's two things. Number one, you just got an education and your expectations need to change. You're already wealthy. Number two, you may actually be chasing wealth. And it's time to repent and start chasing Jesus. Isn't this a fun day? You guys having fun? You found out you're rich, and now you're getting a spanking. It's like, what a great day. Janelle calls this a spanking and a hug. That person needs a spanking and a hug. That's us. Lord, I need a spanking and a hug. Now check this out. My daughter went to work at McDonald's. She's already making $85.20 more a month than the earth's average. She has $85.20 more to burn than, than the average of everybody what they're making in the earth. You, some of you are probably curious to know what the highest average wage is. It's in Luxembourg. It's about $4,500 a month is the average in Luxembourg. In America, the average is about $3,000. $3,000 a month is the average American wage. All right? But America is 330 million people. There's 9 billion people in the earth. You're filthy rich. Most of us in our households are making double than what the rest of the world makes. How much more do I need to make before I'm going to be at peace? How much more before I align my priorities with God? How much more? I may be serving wealth, and I didn't know it. Don't feel guilty for what you have. Feel blessed. And say, Lord, why have you entrusted me with such extraordinary wealth? I make $1,600 a month. Lord, that's, that's $120 a month than almost everybody else. What have you given me that extra 124? That's the question. And, and he has to answer that for you. He may have found you faithful and wants to entrust you with more, and I believe he has, because I believe most of us are not making the average. Most of us are making the average that America makes, or more than the average. And you shouldn't feel guilty. You should feel blessed because the Lord said this. If you're faithful with little, you'll be given much. A lot of you are like, Lord, how come I'm not rich yet? When will I be given much? And he goes, what are you talking about? You already make double what the world makes. How much more do you need? He's saying, I want to give you even more. I just can't trust you yet. You've capped off. You're not serving me. You're serving wealth. You guys having fun? Now check this out. My daughter is already making $1,522 a month more than 2.3 billion people in the world. 
my McDonald's girl, is already making this summer $1,522 more a month than adults. 2.3 billion people are living by $1,522 less than what my daughter makes. And by the way, I don't charge her rent or utilities. The only thing she has to pay for is her own gas and insurance. Let's have an altar call. I'm not done yet. <laughs> oh no, it's already five tell. Ooh, I'm not even going to lie to you. This is going to take a little bit. Not forever. Here, let's go with expectations. We're not getting out of here until 1.15. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I can, I can do okay, but we are definitely not getting done at noon, okay? Here we go. All right, so there's this thing called the moth effect, and you guys all know what the moth effect is. It's like a moth to the naked flame, right? You see, you see light, and the moth is like, and it goes right up to the moth, you know, to the, the thing. And I personally like the bug zapper. I am from Nazareth, and so you know, we would sit around and drink Keystone and watch the bug zapper. That's a true story. So anyway, it's a little more fun than a flame. The flame is kind of harsh. That's like barbaric. You know, the moth flies in there, he lights up, burns slowly. The zapper's quick. It's humane. All right, so at any rate, there, how many of you guys have heard about the moth effect with drunk drivers? And so the idea is there's something about the light, we're talking about the light, eye, you know, eyes of the wind of the soul, something about the light draws the drunk driver into the oncoming car because the light is cooking their brain. Well, that's been disproven. Light does not automatically just make you, oh, I mean, unless you're a moth and then that does happen. But, but as they were studying this moth effect, there's some unique things um, that, that happen. And, and it's connected in a really beautiful way. And I want to pull this together uh, with these thoughts. So here we go. The likely explanation for the moth effect is imprecision in knowing where the eyes were pointed. Now listen to this. This is so cool. In order to perceive a stable world, the brain is constantly monitoring the direction of your gaze. It's one of those critical mental operations necessary for survival that operates outside of our awareness. In other words, it's automatic. I don't, when I'm walking straight, I don't think about the fact that I'm pointing my eyeballs in the direction that I'm going. I don't have to think about it. And if I turn my head like this and keep walking, my brain tells me, hey, dude, you turned your head, but we know that straight is, is kind of this way. Okay, you guys with that? I don't have to think about that. I don't have to say to myself, Joshua, you're looking to the right. So remember, you're also walking kind of at a different angle. So kind of keep that in mind because it's really important because you're looking to the right right now and the right's not straight. Okay, my brain does all of that by itself. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if the brain didn't know where the eyes were pointed, for example, the world would jump every time we had an eye movement. So you look over, you're like, ah! you know, and then you whoa, you know, because the brain, when you, when you moved, if, the, if your brain didn't know where you were, that's your egocentric position, if it didn't know, seriously, you would look over and everything would move. Everything would, voo, 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 and your brain was made in the image of God. It doesn't do that. Somebody say, yay, God. Okay, we also couldn't know which direction we were heading as we moved through the world. When people look in the direction of travel, the egocentric straight-ahead direction and the gaze of the direction are the same. Are you with me? In other words, if I'm traveling this way and I'm looking this way, I'm going this way. Not that hard. Leave it to a scientist to make that complicated. When people fixate away, listen to this, when people fixate away from the direction of travel, then they must then use knowledge of eye position in order to maintain a proper sense of egocentric direction. If the calculation is correct, then the person has maintained directional constancy. In other words, I'm walking, 
I'm looking over. My brain is saying, you are looking over here, but remember, we're going this direction. And my brain does that. And, and what it does is it keeps me in a directional constancy based on knowing that I'm looking somewhere other than where I'm going. You guys see where this is going, don't you? All right. So my brain does that. Your brain does that too. If it's correct, if your calculation is correct, you will continue on a, on a, on a line. But studies show that people are unable to maintain their sense of egocentric direction when fixating eccentrically. I want to write a song about that. It's just fun to say. Let me say it again. Studies show that people are unable to maintain their sense of egocentric direction. In other words, my straight-aheadness when fixating eccentrically. I like, the word. I like that they use eccentrically, which just means away from the direction that I'm going. You ever met an eccentric person? Come on, that was just fun. It was free. I slow-pitched it. I wanted more from that joke, and I didn't get it. So, in other words, when I look away from where I'm going, I cannot maintain that direction for very long because I will be um, influenced by what I'm actually looking at. You can't walk a straight line and look somewhere else. Jesus says it a little bit differently. Here's our picture. In other words, the driver looking right while attempting to travel down the road straight will inadvertently steer to the right while attempting to drive straight. And it feels like you're driving straight. But you drive towards what you're looking at. What does Jesus say? He says this, the eyes are the light of the body. And your eye must be single. You cannot serve two masters. You will inadvertently steer towards what you look at. So he says this, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Isn't it amazing right now in our day and age? I mean, I actually think it's great that we're looking at our food and making sure that it's pure and it's organic, and I think that we've done some damage there, and I think that we need to be transparent and there needs to be good ethics. That's awesome. But isn't it interesting how much, I mean, you cannot tell people that there was any such a thing as a moral standard for sexuality, but it is fully acceptable for someone to practically scream at you for however your chicken was treated before it was slaughtered. <laughs> Completely acceptable. Totally appropriate to ask someone, do you realize what you're eating right now? Do you know all of the different carcinogens with which you're poisoning your body? And it's totally accepted in this culture. In fact, people feel compelled to tell you. We have more evangelisms about food than we do about Christ. I just think it's interesting because Jesus says here, don't even worry about that stuff. I wonder if it's just an effect of our culture right now, that as we're missing out on Christ, which good news for us, we get to share that, that these very things become the focal point. It's actually food. I must be more amused by this than you guys. Joshua, that is so interesting. Man, I love what you come up with. Don't worry about your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? This one is like through my heart. I am so naughty with the worrying. I just am. I just, I mean, I'm looking at the Lord. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be too. Are they going to be okay? Oh, I should really think about this for a really long time. Oh, I should extrapolate that thought. I should preach a sermon about it. So I'm just saying I'm convicted right here. The worrying doesn't add to my life and it takes away my beautiful hair. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil and they don't spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So he's saying, I know the things that you need. I haven't forgotten you. But he says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You put the first thing first. You put your eyes on me. You cannot serve wealth and me. So what are you looking at? What are you worrying about? What are you planning on? Where do you spend most of your time? Where is your creative energy getting burned up on? Is it getting burned up on how you need to hurry up and get, and get, and get uh, financially stable? Because if it is, you're serving wealth because you're already wealthy. You're already wealthy. And he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He says this, you need to seek first the kingdom and these things will be added. Now the kingdom shows you how to manage wealth. It shows you how to manage wealth. It shows you how to extend the good news of God. It convicts you about, you guys, the thing that you have to realize is that we live in the most affluent culture that has ever existed in all of history. You don't have to feel guilty. You need to feel blessed. But you do have to allow this Holy Spirit right now to convict your heart because I'm telling you, we cannot serve wealth and God. And that's why I love Financial Peace University. If you haven't been through FPU, it's time. It's time. It's eight weeks that will change your life. I, I, I say this unashamedly. After you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the second thing I would recommend is take Financial Peace University. Why? Because money is the very thing God said. You'll either serve this or you'll serve this. Some of you went out and bought a car on debt and your tithe check goes to the bank for the car that you drive and it's not even your only car. It's his money and you're serving wealth and you feel like it's okay because you live in a culture where we say it's okay. Say, hey, I deserve this. How many people do you say, you, you, and you, 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 the people say that, I deserve this. Hey, I deserve this. Well, God loves you and God bless you if it's in line with his kingdom. I want you to be blessed. I want you to have cars. In fact, he said, nobody who leaves any of these things for my sake will not fail to receive a hundred times as more in this life and the next, and with them persecutions. So he's saying, look, that stuff will get added to you, but you got it backwards if you're seeking it first. And so my question to each of us is, number one, you're already wealthy. How much is enough? Because you have a question that God's asking you. And that is, are you actually serving me? And that question is connected to how you manage your wealth. If you're in debt, 
take Financial Peace University because God has a plan and he wants you to be a part of it. If you're not in debt yet and haven't taken Financial Peace University, take Financial Peace University. God wants to entrust you with wealth. He wants you to be on his team. He wants to work with you. He wants you in the family business extending the kingdom. I don't want anyone leaving this house filled with guilt. I want everyone leaving this house filled with gratitude and conviction in their heart to say, Lord, you show me. Have I been led astray by my culture? Have I allowed the fact that I'm part of a 5% of the entire earth to cause me to see your kingdom through the lens of my own affluence and forget what the reality actually is? Your eye must be single. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And these things indeed, not only will they be added to you, for everyone in this room, they've already been added. The question is, can I be faithful with what I have and then let him give me even more? Wealth is influence. Wealth is a blessing. Wealth is from God. Put him first. I'd like the prayer servant team to come forward. I pray that you've been blessed today. I pray that this has gone really deep. I pray that today is a turning point for you. I pray that today you come away encouraged, realizing I am wealthy. Father, show me how to live this life in line with what you want to do. If you haven't received Jesus yet as your Savior, and today is the day that you want to do that, please come forward. Anybody on the prayer servant team can make an introduction. You can start that relationship. If you need healing in your body, please come forward. We want to pray for you. And as for me, I'm looking forward to getting to meet you. If you've never been to a newcomer's lunch, uh, we have something fantastic prepared for you right out this door on the corner. And uh, we want to share just a, a quick message. Jason and I will share about the history and the vision for this church. God bless you. And um, this week, I don't know if you guys saw those cool little pictures that you have that you can forward to someone. If you meet somebody and you don't want to hand them one of those welcome cards which are out front, forward them that picture. Say, hey, come on to church. Come, you've got to meet God. Are you guys inviting people to church? Good, keep doing it. You're doing an amazing job. The Lord bless you. I love you guys.